Hey everybody, it's Troublemaker, and um, guess what? BYNK Radio has a brand new podcast. Well, it's not brand new, but they're new to our podcast network. That is the Carefree Black Nerd with Rain Coleman. You need to go check it out. If you're one of those people, especially that's like me, that has a whole lot of things going on, but you want to keep up with what new you know shows you know are popping, what things are happening in the comic book world, what things are happening you know in geek culture, he's the guy that's gonna like keep the pulse for all of that stuff for you guys. He's gonna let you know what's going on, what's good, what's bad. You know, especially from a black nerd perspective, like he's the guy that I listen to when I need to know what's going on. I ain't got time to like watch all these different shows and, and, and read these comic books. So definitely go check him out on BYNKRadio.com forward slash podcast. This is The Pool, I'm Rain Coleman, your host, and this is episode 14. Fourteen, y'all, fourteen. Remember when you're listening to this episode, please live tweet and use the hashtag ThePoolCBN or CBNPod. Either way, either one will get to me, ThePoolCBN or CBNPod. Thank you all for coming back with me again for another week of the pool. Uh, 2018 going strong. Uh, Gronish, 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 Gronish premiered. And um, I wonder what you guys, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred, in the comments on SoundCloud. Let me know what you thought about Gronish. Um, I saw a lot of kind of <laughs> Twitter beasts between those college aged folks. And uh, some folks who are a little bit more mm, seasoned. (laughs) And the biggest issue or the biggest argument I saw was from the folks who were in that pre, uh, oh, excuse me, post high school college age is that (laughs) one girl tweeted, these niggas mad. They 30 or something, 10 years out of college mad about this show. This ain't insecure. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, what what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Grownish? And then did it live up to... Blackish, uh, was the spinoff well executed to you? Did you think that you know the characters were good? It, it picked up. Did you think? Do you think it is good? Let me know. Um, starting off, of course, I want to thank everyone for listening once again, and I want to direct you over there to BYNK Radio and the amazing folks over there. Uh, my new podcast family, my brothers and sister, hit up the podcast over there. There'll be a link in the show notes because I am, of course, a part of the BYNK Radio fam. Um, jumping into some headlines, there's been a lot going on in this short amount of time. Mind you, this is just the beginning of the new year. There is, what well, one, Logan uh, receives a surprise WGA Award nomination. Uh, Logan was a damn good movie. And I like, again, that we have these superhero films that are existing in other genres. You know, these action films, these westerns, these uh, political dramas, these comedies, all this. But it's all still in this superhero um, uh, world, for lack of a better term. So kudos to you, Logan. And what I should have started with, so slap my hand, shame on me, motherfucking DeWanda Wise. Ugh, she's got to have it. You know what else she's got to have? She's got to have that role as uh, Monica Rambeau. Now, she's been 
cast in the in an unknown role in Marvel's female-led film of Captain Marvel. And I'm just, oh my God, this wonderful, beautiful, sun-kissed woman. If she is Monica Rambeau, ah, look, who else can she be? Monica is not a mutant, so we know that it doesn't fall under that Fox uh Marvel thing that they got going on that's just recently been hashed out. So we know that, you know, it's quite likely that this woman will be Monica Rambo. I'm hoping if she's Spectrum, the other Captain Marvel, or whatever name she goes under, it doesn't matter. I just want them to hear I want to hear her say Monica Rambo. Um and I'm hope wondering if 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 she is Monica Rambo, if she'll have a Louisiana accent, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I'm, I'm so excited. Like, first of all, a black woman working, getting a check. Secondly, with her being a part of um, this franchise and in a role, I'm hoping that one. <laughs> Let me take a step back. I'm hoping that she is Monica Rambo, like, because I don't know who else she could surprise us with that would make sense. Working under the assumption that she will be Monica Rambeau, I'm hoping we do not get a War Machine, Iron Man style or Captain America style token lackey. I don't foresee that being the case, but I'm oh, I'm just all for this black woman. Oh, God, because if we enter her into, I believe, phase four, and she comes out being Monica Rambeau. And this being the newer of the, the, the properties sends the marvel fox stuff we will see her going forward like uh, we, there it's we're so much closer to a monica rambo film of her own or a series or something oh my god this is all of my representation in comics and related media is just bursting from my chest y'all if you can't tell i'm stupid excited about this so go ahead ma'am get it boo get it baby girl no <laughs> the wonder wise you did that so, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what role she'll play because that, oh my God, that's freaking amazing. Uh, what else do we have here? We have, well, oh, Black and Silver. I believe that's what it's going to be called. Yeah, Black and Silver. The, um, Sony f- kind of Spider Man f- uh, spinoff of Silver Sable and Black Cat. That is, uh, begins filming in March. And, like, kudos to them for that. But I'm just, I'm not asking who asked for this. I'm asking how is this going to work? Um, I know we also have a Venom movie coming. And again, how is that going to work without Spider-Man being the star? You know, but you know, that's an interesting take on these superhero films because we have Marvel and we have DC attempting to do this um, extended universe where we follow the heroes. And even with Marvel specifically, we've gotten where other points of view where the heroes haven't technically been the heroes because they've been, you know, fucking shit up. And that's great. But if Sony is taking the route of using all of the villains, the rogues gallery from Spider-Man, and fleshing out a cinematic universe or extended universe with those characters, that would be dope as hell. So I'm, I think I've just talked myself into it. I'm on board now. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Dot 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 dot. Um. So Gambit. <laughs> because <laughs> that's still a thing adds the winter soldier and guardians two stunt coordinators to its roster which is like okay if nothing else we know we'll have some pretty decent fight scenes like winter soldier was pretty good um guardians two i haven't seen it yet shame on me i know but that's um it makes me more hopeful for the gambit movie because we're getting more stories coming from the production um 
whereas this has been like a running joke or rumor for the last few years, we're finally getting something. So, you know, kudos to him and everybody else. Uh, la, la, la. What else? What else? Got a lot of shit going on here. We have, excuse me. Um, no, The Last Jedi. I saw that. Pretty good movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, all you fanboys and fangirls who are upset about it because it doesn't stay true to the Star Wars. What is that actually? Like, what does that mean? Um, and I'm not going to mock anyone. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. But I really don't see from a new Star Wars fan point of view, it was a pretty solid movie. Um, if you don't agree, let me know. Carefree Blurred on Twitter or carefreeblackdirt at gmail.com. I'd love to discuss or at least figure out why you don't like it because I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a new, uh, uh, someone coming into this and without the, baggage of the the history um it just was a feel-good movie for me now if there are things that has it functioning wrong in the star wars mythos or whatnot let me know because i am new and i i I am open to um to hearing why this is a trash movie to you and why it isn't good like i'm i'm all for that so you know hit me up uh ryan reynolds apparently invited a twitter fan uh to the deadpool 2 premiere which is like man this man keeps being awesome come on man. speaking of i'm very excited for deadpool 2 uh we get that zazy beats as domino that beautiful black woman and uh i don't i'm just damn good job folks over there like this is this is this uh, i don't i don't know we 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 getting we getting some good shit here and <laughs> and this is um Good. This is good. This will be good for us. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be some shit, y'all. And I am, I am already for it. Um, but so again, uh, the with the Spider-Man uh, spinoff, Silver and Black, I think they'll be shooting some scenes in Mexico, is what was uh, reported. Which is like, okay, that's cool. I'm not overly excited for it, but once it, we get closer to a premiere date, I'm sure the the trailers and the concept art and everything will get me excited, but as of right now, I'm just like, eh, okay, I'll take it or leave it. Um, Fox's The Gifted, that was renewed for a second season, which is like, okay, well, you know, again, this is something that's sitting on my DVR. I wasn't too keen on it. I didn't really find it interesting off that first episode. Again, shame on me, because I think I just watched like the mid-season finale like a week ago, and it looked pretty good. It looked like, okay, I, this is something I probably can sit through, but I don't know when I'll go back and watch it, the whole series. Um, I'll figure it out when I'll find a way. But kudos to them for being renewed. And with them being renewed, what does that bring with the new Fox Marvel deal? Like, um, I'm, I don't know. I'm interested. Like, are we watching the dying embers of a universe that will be rebooted and everyone will be erased. Um, will this be an alternate timeline? Like I'm pretty, I'm interested. Or can this and Legion exist on their own as Deadpool is and go forward and keep telling their same stories while also having uh, new stories or the new universe with the mutants uh, placed in it over there at Marvel? Like, is this something that we're going to get and this can exist on its own as well? Are we going to pull on these stories? Yeah, so, <laughs> um, what else? Oh, Game of Thrones final season debuts in 2019, which is, okay, I'm so far behind. That means nothing to me, hell. I still have like two or three seasons to catch up on. 
la 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 Maleficent Maleficent 2 begins filming in April and it has um Justice League production designer that uh that's pretty interesting Maleficent is not uh doesn't have the weight that Justice League did and does have so I'm 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 looking forward to this if I didn't know anything about Maleficent as far as the production designer, the costume designers, and all that, I would still be interested in seeing it because it was a pretty good movie, um, first movie, and it was a nice little twist on the old fairy tale. So kudos to those folks over there. Now, Mad Men star uh, Karen, I'm gonna mess this woman's name up, Kernan Shipka. Kernan Shipka, we'll go with that. She'll star in the Netflix Sabrina reboot. I am excited. So this is real. This Sabrina show is going to happen. I'm even more excited that I looked up on Twitter today and Kernan Shipka <laughs> followed me on Twitter. So, you know, all those welcome to Riverdale tweets must have got me a little somewhere, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we got to figure out what this um, Sabrina review show will be because, of course, I will be reviewing the new Sabrina show on Netflix. It's only fitting we have welcome to Riverdale. Um, and with this show, I'm wondering if we'll get any crossovers. Probably not. Well, not probably not because Riverdale is on Netflix, but only after the show, the season has, has aired. And I think in Canada or overseas, the Netflix, that Riverdale does appear on Netflix there, but it's one show a week as it is here on live TV. So I'm wondering if there'll be some kind of crossover Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. I'm hoping so. That would be nice. It would be nice even if they addressed like the murder of uh, Miss Grundy on Sabrina's show in a way that um, maybe mm, not that she's caused the murder, but somehow that it is a ripple effect so that we can get kind of a crossover without needing to use the actors. I don't know. I don't know how they'll do that, but I'm very interested to see what is going to happen with this Sabrina show. And with it being a Netflix show, will it only be 13 episodes or, you know, what? So, um, I don't know. This is, uh, <laughs> that's like all the headlines I got for you guys this week. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and then dive right into the pool. This week's pool was very satisfying. Like, I am thoroughly excited. Now, uh, at my local comic shop, my comic book shop owner, dude, or whatever, through the Phoenix Resurrection uh, Legacy, the return of Jean Grey into my pools, uh, I got issue one, and I was like, okay, you know what, I'll just go with it. I won't, you know, uh, complain about it. But I read through it, and I was like, okay, this is good they're clearly setting something up 
I'm not entirely sure if this is going to be a business as usual or you know what. So we've known for a while that Jean Grey was coming back. Logan is already back, I believe, and uh, we'll get to the Professor X being back as well uh, after this this book. But I picked it up and I was like, okay, I'll read through it. Didn't know I was going to like it. Jean Grey is not one of my favorite characters. I like her. She's cool. Um, she's all right. Um, I've really enjoyed seeing the time displaced Jean Grey and all the things that she's been. Well, all five of the original five, but seeing her and get her own title. Now, I don't collect that title because, again, I'm not really interested, but I'm happy to see what she's doing in X-Men Blue. Got the resurrection, Phoenix Resurrection, went through the first issue, and I was like, all right, this is business as usual. It's okay. But the more I read, there is a moment where Jean Grey is introduced. Um... But she's not Jean Grey. And that's what I think sold me on this book is that she has, um, we've set up this return. But then she's like in this little, I don't know, podunk town where she's like a waitress at a diner and all this other shit. And so um, I didn't, I I don't know, when the end of the first issue, when I got to like the last two or three pages, I knew this was for me. Uh, So I picked up Phoenix Resurrection 2, and it opens with uh, Astronaut in Space seeing this like event or this like Phoenix blocking out the sun or something. And all this is important because we get Jean Grey, but we don't get her like, hey, it's me, Jean Grey, I'm back from the dead. How y'all niggas doing? This is like... Her, oh God, I'm so <laughs> like I'm trying to find the right words to say this now. Um, Phoenix Resurrection, excuse me, is like it's like Jean is back, but she's experienced a trauma. So the Gene that we're seeing is the Gene that we know, but because of the sheer um level of her power, it's like she's closed herself off somewhere and she is hmm how do I put it she has created this pocket dimension almost it seems like somewhere in America where she is getting up um living at her home her parents home going to work hanging out um and that's that but it's it's almost as if she's again just created this world for herself in which to kind of keep herself hidden so i'm i'm interested to see how this unfolds uh because for some reason or another she's awakening um she's becoming more woke i think she said black lives matter at one point <laughs> no she didn't but i feel as if she is um the gene that we know is waking up in this facade that she's created for herself is slowly breaking down to the point where there are people who pop up in this book in her world that aren't quite who they are but it's almost like reading an alternate version one of the alternate realities so it's Jean. she works at a diner and warpath is the dishwasher there then jamie madrox multiple man is like one of her neighbors and she plays on this thing where she kind of um takes the memories of what she knows about this person like jamie madrox he is the multiple man who can uh 
create multiple versions of himself. And she has this little, uh, what do you call it? This little like kind of dialogue with him where she's running out to her car. She's like, oh, hey, Jamie, I didn't know you were coming today because he's mowing her lawn. He's like, yeah, I finished up at whoever house and I started to get over here right away. And she says, I don't know how you get it all done. I can't even get to my one job on time. And you're in like 10 places at once. And it's like <laughs> alluding to the fact that this is multiple men. She knows this is him somewhere in her subconscious. But this is the way in which he has manifested in this um, kind of alternate universe that she's placed herself in. And uh, she pulls off and then we see like 10 different Jamie's looking at her driveway. And it's things like that that makes me excited for what they're about to do with gene i really wish we could follow this gene this is a book i would read like following this and seeing how she has um manifested um and is dealing with her own trauma and bringing in old memories and old people who she's known and how they appear in her life the fact that jamie's her neighbor warpath is um her co-worker and then there's one point in time where magneto shows up but he is he is just a customer in the diner. And in the midst of all this, in the real world, so to speak, we have uh, Kitty Pride and Beast who are running the, well, Kitty's the team leader, but they're kind of um, co-running the team at this point. And we get a lot of Jubilee in this uh, this series so far. It's only the second issue. Um, I don't think this is an ongoing, but it doesn't have like two of eight or two of 10. All, all in all, I like that we're getting more of Jubilee. Um, Storm has these odd ass cat eyes for some reason, which is odd enough, but they, um, all kind of discuss how this is the Phoenix and this is, um, oh, they're always Jean Grey. And like, no, this is not Jean Grey. And old man Logan has, um, a comment where he's speaking about, you know, I've died a few times. Uh, let me see. So all of the psychics and all of the, um, telepaths in the world are like down down and out and this is something that apparently happened in Jean Grey number 10 I'm not reading that so I have no idea what's going on but um, Cable is sitting there and I like the fact that they're saying that all of the uh, telepaths and psychics are, are down and out and gone but Cable is there because when it comes to Cable and Bishop for whatever reason the way in which their stories have been constructed since their creation. It's like they're coming back from the future trying to prevent this apocalypse event or whatnot. Cable and Bishop are two characters where the sheer mass and power that they possess as characters overshadows any mutant ability that they have because there are oftentimes where although I know they are mutants I completely forget that they have mutant abilities because they both are packing big guns and shooting every goddamn thing and fighting everything but they seldom very seldom use their powers and um, we see that Cable is the last kind of psychic or telepath here on earth or accounted for rather so they go to Cerebro and I really like the way Bobby Iceman is written in this book because he has a lot of a smart ass mouth, a lot of um, snappy one liners, but they aren't like Spider Man swinging from a building saying something funny to a villain. These are like things that I would imagine if this world was real, things that would be said. These different personalities that are together, and uh, there's the smart ass, there's the know it all, there's the tempered one. Like it's it's very believable. And my apologies for not telling you who is creating this book okay we have the writer Matthew Rothenberg and that is a testament to him he's done a really good job I am 
I'm really feeling this more than I thought I would. Um, Carlos Pacheo as the penciler, Rafael Fonterres as the inker, Rachel Rosenberg as the color artist, VCs Travis Lanham as the letterer. Now the art, um, it's good. It's not. It's. I'm very much a Bachalo fan. Excuse me, and this is nothing like his work. Um, I sell that to say that this is good. Um, it kind of threw me off at times like some of the hair it's not a bad it's not bad drawing it's not bad coloring or anything it's just you know you have an aesthetic you have a style that you like and then that's what you like and this isn't um there are certain parts where it's just oh it just doesn't read well for me but it's a very uh very good book and i could tell that time and energy was put into it's consistent if nothing else but for me personally it's not my aesthetic but i could very well read a whole series with this artwork and i'm sure that by the time we get to the end of whatever's going on i will um kind of like this art probably a little bit more uh we get to a point i'm kind of skipping around where um the x-men um um <laughs> keep saying um well the x-men decide to you know go off break off into teams and take care of whatever and i'm looking at the crowd and strong guy is here now i know strong guy was in the latest iteration of x fact i think it was x factor Inve investigations but i haven't seen strong guy since i was a kid and i know it took a step away from comics for a while but damn it's so like i was excited to see him and his look is slightly updated but he's pretty much the same uh we get a lot of this i like the pacing in this book like the whole first issue was pretty good it went pretty fast but you knew they were setting up something this being a second issue i think did a really good job following that first issue um and the standout characters for me in this issue were bobby uh gene this like alternate version gene or whatever she's going through and that's probably it because kitty is kind of boring as the headmaster slash leader of the x-men she's doing like leader things and that's good but she's just not doing it for me i've never been a kitty fan to the point where i am excited that she's the leader i'm excited that there is a woman leading yet again but when you got characters when you got when you have characters like storm you know we are over here at carefree black nerd love representation and that is like give storm she was running an all women team of x-men back in the day and then that's kind of like written out or whatever um i like the fact that she is back in that black swimsuit cape combination thing but then i'm also like let's update her look a little bit uh i would like to see this book go on and see what they have in store for us but i do want more of storm i do want more of jubilee i do want more and i like beast for whatever reason <laughs> beast looks like a black man to me like he has that panthro look from uh what is the shit thundercats this look that they have where he he's not bald because he's covered in fur but he's like if he became human in this form you could tell he would be bald-headed but with a full beard like I like this look, but for whatever reason, this looks makes him translate to me as a black man, which he has very much done over the last few years, uh, at last ten or so years that I've seen him in comics. The issue ends with Gene serving coffee to Magneto, 
and, or maybe a version of Magneto that she's conjuring, but I'm not sure if this is real or fake. But he says, because um, his nose is bleeding, she's like, oh, you have a little bit of blood here because he just got done fighting uh, one of the teams of X-Men, which I don't know if he, it seems as if he was a hologram, but now that he's back in this alternate reality that she's created, he says, oh, how embarrassing. It's an old injury, an old war injury. She says, oh, you were in the war? And he says, I was the war. And it's like, damn, that's, that one panel holds so much weight. It's like, she's so cut off. I guess she's protected herself for so long that she doesn't register how significant his presence is and the fact that he says I was the one like ah he ain't lying this is one of the most formidable villains that the X-Men have ever faced and regardless to how many iterations be him a headmaster a villain an anti-hero a feeble old man a dad or whatever he has always been a very powerful and almost regal semi-godlike character and just to hear him say I was the war that that set me off but um, he says, uh, you seem to be feeling a little better already. She says, yeah, I think I am. He says, good. But that last, I think I am, and him saying good, is has this backdrop of whatever this reality is that she's created covered in fire. Like the phoenix rising, it literally looks like what a depiction of hell would be. And I am very much interested to see where this is going now x-men red number one i think will be coming out in february and i want to say from the solicits that i've seen and from the artwork that is a jean gray led team uh her costume is ugly as fuck it looks like they've taken the x-men 92 jean gray and kind of tried to alter or update her look she looks horrible but reading this phoenix resurrection title has me excited for X-Men Red and what is going to come from this. So I've already added that to my pool list because I want to see what are you going to do with Jean Grey once all this is said and done. Like, I can't even guess what's next for the Phoenix Resurrection because shit, it's I, just who knows. So I don't know. Good job over there, guys. That that was that was good. Uh, moving on to the next pick in the pool, it is The Astonishing X-Men. Again, one of the titles that I listen. If you are listening to me, run out and get Astonishing X-Men. Get the first trade, the first six issues. You will thank me later. This is a damn good story. It's all happening in London. It all seems to be happening back to back. So the first six issues probably in real time covered like an hour and a half of time it may be i'll even say just a solid hour just the way in which the story is paced i know it's going to read really quickly once it's collected in trade form the six the first six issues but we're moving on to astonishing x-men issue seven but this is a man called x part one and i like the thing that they're doing with these titles and i don't know if it's just the legacy titles or if it's um all X-Men titles going forward, but we get almost like a cinematography, cinematography, and more of a um, television show style where we get that code open and then we get this two-page spread of the story itself, which we got that in the Phoenix Resurrection as well. But in this one, it's, oh my God, this is so fucking amazing. So at the end of the last issue, we saw Phantom X return, but he's actually Xavier either... 
inhabiting his mind or having taken over his body something something's going on where physically we're looking at phantom x but this guy does have his hood off we've never seen that that i can recall phantom x without a mask but this version is charles he's a younger version and he says he opens up with i know what you're thinking what am i going to do next well we'll get there i promise but first, I need to thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. And he's speaking to Mystique, Psylocke, and Rogue. And this guy, I don't, this is such a goddamn good book. He is, what made me leery about him initially is that he has this, uh, his word bubbles are in black and white. Like the background is black and the letters are white, unlike the rest of the comic books which is white on black is black on white excuse me when it's just people speaking normally his speech bubbles are very much um mimicking the shadow king who was the evil guy and so this whole time i'm on edge and he's talking about these gifts he's saying you know in due time you you know you'll know um what's going on but please call me x and they're like oh professor charles xavier oh don't call me professor i don't know if i um want that title just yet and so last we left archangel was archangel he was going on a rampage i think trying to kill gambit and old man logan but charles touches his forehead as psychics do and he speaks directly to Archangel and he's like, you know, here's my gift to you. His gift being he has returned him to his stuff. Because for those of you who don't know, Archangel um, and Angel and Warren Worthington Third are all one and the same. Archangel was Apocalypse's version of Angel where he took Angel from the original five X-Men and made him the f- four, fourth horseman of death. And ever since then, there's been this through line of him not being able to control this character. Sometimes him being this hollowed out like demon persona. But Xavier or X goes into his mind and he gives him control over this archangel form. Which is like, you know, I'm not the biggest Archangel fan and I haven't been following him throughout the years. He wasn't the person who I caught up on when I got back into comics. But I can see even in these few pages, in these few panels, how important and significant that is that he's regained control. And it is, this is everything. Um, We get to the Ministry of Defense. Uh, Taking a step back, when he gets in control, Xavier says to him, you know, this is a gift. You earned it. You know, you helped me get out of the Shadowland or whatever. So we go to the Ministry of Defense of Superhuman Crisis Command Center, where these London, I don't know, CIA shield types have been trying to kill off a lot of their population because they are infected by the Shadow King and they're infected in a way where they're almost zombie-like and they're infecting others and this infection, this psychic infection is spreading. And while they're trying to drop this bomb, Archangel throws the bomb into the air, destroys it. They're upset because it'll take like 10 minutes to get back, get another bomb to this place. This is all important because Charles shows up as his holographic self and he, um, what does he say? He keeps talking about giving this gift. He's like, I'm going to, um, destroy this psychic energy, which he does. He, he kind of, um, pulls this zombie psychic infection from the mind and body of everyone who's infected 
and brings it into a giant ball in the sky. And he's like, oh, my second gift is, and he like makes everyone faint and fall asleep. He's like, you, when you wake up, you, you will all be over. This, you won't remember a thing about the X-Men in London. And this is my gift to you. Ignorance is bliss. And it's like, damn, this, you can tell he's doing good things, but the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, ah, this nigga, mm, I don't know that this is going to turn out well because he's very much, uh, this is scary. <laughs> so one thing that I do like, and again, going back to Bishop and Cable being these characters from the future and them having these um, backstories that are ever changing only because the future keeps changing. Well, I don't get a lot of Bishop in my comics and I wish I would have more, but I really like the fact that this Bishop once he is free, his mind is free of this psychic infestation. And he looks up at the sky and he sees this big green ball that is, I don't know, just existing. He like hits his little watch or whatever. And he's like, you know, uh, uh, what does he say? Let me see. Cause it's very, I was, I was really into this. He says, um, access in time database and his computer Siri, I suppose <laughs> says, uh, what is your query? He says a green sun over London. Then we go on and it says the green sun appearing above London is the early 21st century is inciting incident of a mind killer apocalypse results in sterilized earths across 97% of timelines in which it occurs, which is like this story is contained pretty much. I mean, it's in London. Um, there's a psychic event that has happened. This is happening over, like I said, the course of maybe I'll say an hour and a half now up to issue seven, an hour and a half. All this stuff is going on and it doesn't affect the rest of the Marvel Universe. This is fine where it is. Uh, but the fact that this this panel here, we are, what am I trying to say? I've never seen Bishop used in this way. And what's interesting and what can make him a very uh, more key player in a lot of these X stories is what just happened here is the way that he was used by accessing the end time database and being able to you're able to write stories and create these events and then you're able to utilize bishop to kind of retcon the future and saying how important these events are thus legitimizing your story that much more and i think they did a really good job with this uh, and speaking of Zay, <laughs> I guess I could say you was working on the book. Uh, Charles Soule is the writer, which is damn Charles Soule. You're doing your damn thing. Phil Noto is the artist. VC's Clayton Kyles is the letterer. And this is just dope as shit. And I like that Bishop is, thanks to Phil Noto, looks, he looks like a black man. He got, he got, he has these cornrows <laughs> with this big ass M on his face. Even Rogue looks a little better. Um, we get Raven, who's Mystique, um, Betsy, who's Psylocke, and Anna Marie, who's Rogue, and they're speaking with this Professor X slash Phantom X type, and he's like, well, you know, Phantom X stayed on the astral plane on his own. I did not, you know, make him. This was a fair trade, flesh for flesh. And Psylocke's like, you know, I'm going to go back into the astral plane and see. She goes back and she finds him. He's like, yeah, bonjour, Betsy. I'm here. I'm 
I want to be here. And uh, I think the conversation that they had is very, very interesting. And that's why I like this book so much. Whereas she's trying to make sure for certain that this child or this ex or this character who we have out here is actually up to good, has good intentions because it doesn't feel right, which it doesn't. Like with the X-Men, once things are going good, you got to question if that shit is for real or not. And he's saying that, he said, he being Phantom X said, well, um, I was nothing out there, Betsy, bouncing from one misdeed to the next, killing, whoring, thieving, a beast, really. Whereas Charles Xavier, a great man, many would pick him to live over me, given the choice. Well, I was given the choice. And it, excuse me, and as it turns out, I am one of that many. Like he is, oh God, then they go for it a little bit and do a little bit more exchange. He says, um, I will say this. I do not know if freeing Xavier was a choice I actually made, but it was a choice I should have made. And I can live with that. It's like, damn, that, this is fucking good. This is just a damn good book. Please, folks out there, anybody who's considering returning to the X-Men, go and get Astonishing X-Men 1 through 6. Read that whole arc and let me know what you think. Read it. I'm like, if you're not sold on it, I mean, hit me up carefully blurred on Twitter. Like, nigga, this shit was trash. How dare you? Or if you liked it, let me know. But I think it is very, 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 very much reminiscent of the nostalgia and the things that make X-Men X-Men, but very modern in a way that this is a new story that I hope continues. Let this be. Don't end this. This is damn good. So you're doing a damn good job. <laughs> um, that being said, there is an ending that I don't want to spoil in case someone does uh, pick up this issue. But I will say that when Xavier brought himself back to the normal plane from the astral plane, he brought something else with him because, of course, nothing is that easy. And this cliffhanger was a pretty good one. Um and I'm excited for issue eight. So please, Astonishing X-Men number seven, pick that up. But first, pick up one through six and read them cover to cover. Uh, and finally, on the pool, we have Batman White Knight number four of eight. I cannot rant and rave enough about this goddamn book. If you enjoyed. What the hell is the Netflix show? Um, House of Cards. This is very reminiscent or maybe this issue in particular but overall <sighs> this I, I don't know again for those of you who haven't been reading or don't know about this book uh, batman white knight is sean murphy and matt hollingsworth version of batman and the joker then this universe or in this story the joker has been cured of his uh, psychological issues and he is now uh, jack napier he is um, a guy who is going after Gotham because Gotham has, in his eyes and truly, honestly and truly, has enabled Batman to be a vigilante destroying shit just to lock people up in jail. These super criminals only for them to be out from Arkham Asylum on the streets fucking up shit again. And in this book, they're uncovering a lot of corruption that has been going on in Gotham. And that's kind of cliche for a Gotham story. But the way in which Sean Murphy does this is just simply amazing. Like, we open up and we're in Blackport, which is actually uh, not Blackport. What is it? 
Backport, but it's dubbed Blackport because that's where all the minorities, the black people, and the poor folks live. And the art really lends itself to the story. I mean, anyone probably could draw this and it would still be good, but this, mm, this is a damn good looking book. And I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I could begin at the beginning, huh? Uh, we get Duke, who in the regular timeline, I believe, is now currently studying under Batman to be part of the Bat family. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Carefree Blurred on Twitter. And we get him endorsing uh, Napier, Jack Napier, uh, used to be formerly known as the Joker. Him and Harley Quinn. And it's just such an amazing, it's very reminiscent of a House of Cards scene. That is what this vibe gives me. Well, they're out here uh, endorsing him and there's a big crowd of people in there. Oh, we love you, Duke, and blah, whatever. So he gets on the mic and this, ah, this gave me very much white savior vibes. But then again, it gave me, this is in keeping with this story. So... As much as I'm taken aback because it does feel like this is a white savior, it also fits the narrative where it feels like House of Cards or a, a Law & Order SVU episode or something. It, it feels real. And it's even mentioned, I think Duke said something to the effect of him being a white savior. What did he say? Da, 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 da. When I first met Jack Napier, I didn't trust him. I thought this guy didn't understand back. Uh, backport and we don't need no white savior speaking for us do we really want a super criminal living here so i started asking around i went outside my door to see what the police thought of jack napier seeing as how they're always telling us how bad he is and you know what i discovered there are no police in backport but you know who does come to backport jack napier <laughs> now i don't know how many accents i tried to run through there but like i said that was even addressed and i'm like this oh god this story is doing so damn good so this is whereas i initially thought this was um him jack napier being a um, like running for councilman which this kind of is this is also a protest like this is something that you're really tapping into the whole black lives matter of it all and so i thought this was like a sanctioned event that was like at backport I don't know, outside of Union Hall or something, but apparently this is a protest and the funny thing, oh my God, I don't even, look, I'm so tongue-tied. Sean Murphy is doing a damn good job at getting getting this idea across and it's it's almost like we're reading a regular Batman story, but from the point of view of the citizens, the regular citizens, because there's a point in which we have Jack going down to meet with the police because there's a line of police in riot gear who won't let the uh, blacks pass. And him, Harley Quinn, or Harley and Quinzel, Dr. Harley and Quinzel, and Duke walk up to the, I don't know, line of police officers, and they're kind of arguing, and Duke and this big fat motherfucker, this white dude, is they're arguing, and Batman comes out of nowhere and chokes uh, Jack and kicks Duke to the ground. And he is, and uh, Batgirl's like, what the hell are you doing? And he says to her, I'm keeping this from escalating. And it's just like, we're getting, oh God, this is just such a really, he's done a really good job. But um, the, from that comes 
a riot, which is which Jack stops and he's like, you know, everybody back down. I'm gonna go on my own free will. And the question, why would you do that? He's like, well, when I'm a councilman, you and I will have to learn to get along. Why not start now and avoid bad press? Just remember that this was a peaceful protest until Batman showed up. And it's like he's doing a damn good job at getting across how Batman is the villain without doing anything extreme. You're literally simply just telling the story from the citizen's point of view, seeing how, yes, Batman is the fucking villain. There was no need for him to pop out of nowhere like that and beat these motherfuckers. That... that it it was so jarring because although these characters were arguing, there was nothing physical. They were literally arguing, arguing about ideas, and he comes out like that. It was just so it really drives home the point that Batman is a villain. Then we get over to the Gotham Insider, which is like their, you know, primetime news station or whatever, and this older white guy, this kind of mature black woman she's not as old as the white guy and the thing i like about this is that they showed up in the first issue and i didn't think that we see more of them but i figured hell if we do you know if we don't whatever i just like that you know now we have this gotham um news program and there is a woman of color here you know that's not just the blonde haired blue eyed white woman i did not expect for this argument and it's not necessarily an argument i think it's really like a heated disagreement on air where the white guy and the black girl are talking and she's like you know he's exploiting um you know he has a history of violence and he's doing xyz and she's like motherfucker i was born in backport i i represent backport uh you know and people uh people have the right to be upset you know the gotham city police department and batman have been treating them like trash for years and it's just like this interesting like i i am really <laughs> I really want for this story, once it is said and done, to be collected and continue on past issue eight. I like for this to be canon somewhere. This is the Batman story I would read. This along with Tom King's Batman. But additionally, with the things that are going on in the DC universe, the extended universe, the movie universe, if you take this story only on issue four but if you take this story i'm sure you can come out with a damn good hit like this i don't know maybe i'm just speaking to the ether and nobody's listening and nobody at dc is gonna listen to this but god damn it this is such a fucking good story that this could easily oh my god you talk about a netflix series you talk about hulu you talk about a limited series somewhere this would be dope as fuck um so we get uh, get on boy arrested. And he's like, look, you know, y'all got this money that y'all already have reserved for Batman. I'm just trying to make change. Uh, make Batman and everybody else wear body cameras. Make them, you know, have GPS trackers. Give us some of that technology. And that was another thing, point that he brought up is that if Batman really wanted to solve crimes or um, keep Gotham safe, he would let you know what the fuck he got going on. He would extend some of his gadgets and goozettes and wootsits and doodads to you motherfuckers so that you all could be safe. And the thing, um, he says something about his Kevlar vest. He's like, well, if you know, Batman got that fucking thick-ass Kevlar where he keep getting shot and he's fine. How do you? How many people you think could have been alive today or at the very least not um, end up in a hospital if they had that same Kevlar that Batman has? And that's something I've never even thought of before that he has on these gadgets. He said, y'all out here looking like Barney Fife and he out here looking like, you know, 2099. And I was like, damn, he's, again, doing a damn good job at getting his point across and doing so in a way that feels real 
we get a little date between Harley and Quinzel and uh, Jack Napier, and then we wake up with them butt ass naked, and it's it's so tasteful. All of this looks so good. It's and then once you think shit can't get any better, we get the fucking super villains of Gotham bursting through the Gotham City Police Department and. They're led by who but Harley Quinn herself, like the double ganger who's now kind of the original, but not. I don't know. You got to read this. She um has on her version of the Joker's outfit with a little Harley Quinn in there. She has uh this pink hair. She looks really good. It's a very good look for her. And I like this character. And I'm hoping that we get her in the main continuity as well. But the um other interesting thing is that I'm going through this book and we get the new the old harley quinn trying to regain her joker and she's upset because you know he's like nigga where's joker at he you popping these pills you've um suppressed him bring him out but even past that we get her backstory which is like i didn't expect to get that in this goddamn book like sean murphy is doing his damn thing if, if look that's it i'm not spoiling that Pick up fucking White Knight, Batman White Knight. It is a limited series. It is an eight-part series. Pick that up. If you don't get anything else from what I've said today, Batman White Knight needs to be read by the masses. (laughs) So this has been The Pool, everyone. Thank you all for listening. I love you all. You all are wonderful. If I'm reading something that you like, that you don't like, that you're indifferent about, or something that you know you're picking up because of me, hit me up, Carefree Black Nerd, um, on most social medias, Carefree Blurred on Twitter, and be like, hey, you know, I like this, I didn't like this, I love it, whatever. Um, also, if I'm not reading something that you are or that you think I should read or something I should know about, hit me up. Same way, all social medias. I'm also carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com if you'd like. Um, shoot me an email and I gladly respond if you want to, you know, maybe give me your thoughts, be on the show or something. That's fine too. But look, 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 y'all, these books this week were fucking fire, fire. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> um, all that being said, you know, uh, keep up with the carefree black nerd on the carefree black nerd feed, a bunch of different shows coming down the pipeline, uh, Riverdale, uh, the pool, of course, carefree black nerd proper, um, a few other surprises here and there later on in the year. Of course, we're going to get uh, insecure when that comes back. So be looking out um, and head on over to Welcome to Riverdale. And let me know what you think about that. Um, hit BYNKradio.com forward slash podcast to see me and all my other podcast brothers and sisters doing their damn thing over there. And, um, you know, until next time, I guess I'll see you next week or the week after (laughs) same nerd time same nerd station